This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, the official podcast of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana. Together, we will embark on a journey of mentorship, connection, and the life-changing power of relationships. Each episode, we will learn from authentic conversations with bigs, littles, experts in the field of mentoring, and other defenders of potential. Whether you are a seasoned mentor, a curious listener, or someone considering joining this incredible community, kick back, unwind, and come along for the ride. Now... Here's our executive director, Ryan Scott. Welcome back to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. This is Ryan Scott, the Executive Director of the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana. Uh, Welcome back to this podcast. We are super excited for you to join us. Um, I'll tell you, we've got a good guest today. Um, As as he and I were talking, you know, the why behind this podcast, Um, we, we definitely believe here at our agency that we are here to defend the potential of all kids. And literally and and seriously, if we're going to defend their potential, then we got to know what is getting in the way of them reaching their potential. And so I'm super excited to get a guy. Um, We've spoke before um, in the education world, but now we're going to bring my friend Joe Broomer and we're going to talk about his fabulous book that I was just telling him. Um, when I was in the school world, I bet I referred to his book weekly because it just has so much information all in one space. Um, and so, yeah, we're welcoming Joe Broomer. He is the author of Building a Trauma-Informed Restorative School. Um, he's also a speaker. Um, he, You can find him on podcasts all over the world uh, when you talk about trauma. And so, Joe, welcome one more time to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, man. The last time we spoke, you know, this was kind of more of an education uh, podcast, but, you know, I love the way the world works because literally we were able to use the same name and instead of it standing for big ed, like as an education idea, now we're rebranding it as the big ed idea, big being big brothers, big sisters, ed as an executive director. So Hey, it's cool. It's cool. We get to talk to you again. I, I like how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, you know, every once in a while, the the world or the universe just kind of makes sense. And in, and in this point and in this podcast, it definitely made sense to keep the same name and keep going with, uh, you know, our initial mission. So, Joe, I'm excited to have you again. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I appreciate the offer to come on. Yeah. And, you know, just like we did in in the old brand, uh, we believe, I believe wholeheartedly in this idea that you got to do connections before you can get to content. And so before we get to 
you know, your specialty, your expertise, which is trauma-informed schools. Um, I, we want to know a little bit about who this Joe Broomer guy is. And so my first question, Joe, three words that describe life right now for Joe. We'll start with the first one. I'm in New England and it's cold. Uh, <laughs> it's just okay. ridiculously cold. Uh, I, I rarely ever, we have two zones in our townhouse for, for heat and we rarely ever turn the upstairs heat on. And I just popped it on right before this podcast. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to shiver my way through this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, we have, so I'm cold. Okay. I, I guess second word would be worried because okay. we're only like a short way out from Christmas and okay. I, I barely, I have barely shopped at all. Uh oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I don't have a lot to buy. So that's, that's not. Well, good thing happen, Amazon. I, Are you an Amazon yeah. member? I was on Amazon just before we, we got online <laughs> okay. together. I was, I was looking at like, what stocking stuffers could I pull off? Um, and then I guess my last one these days would just be grateful. Like yeah. I'm in a, in a good spot. I just finished uh, a big project of, of co-authoring my second book and getting all the first round of edits done. And now I'm sort of like, I have not like I'm not sure what to do with myself. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I've spent so many weeks diving into writing that now that I'm like done writing, I'm like, Ooh, I, I guess I'll make soup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I guess I'll make. Well, it is cold, so, but uh, I am grateful that I I can be in this position. And so it's nice. I love that, man. Um, so is this your set? Will this be your second book? This is the second book. It's okay. co-authored with uh, who was my editor on my first book, Margaret Thorsborn. Okay. Uh, an uh, absolute pioneer of restorative justice work from Australia. Uh, and, you know, literally when a, a, a woman who's been in this field for 30 years says, hey, let's write a book together. I'm like, oh, OK. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'd be I'd be a moron to say no to that. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, yes, I will. I will definitely do that. Yeah. And I remember when she sent me the first, you know, finished like draft of a chapter. She's like, All right, here's what I got first. And I read it and I was just like, oh, my God, weird. this is going to be great. I, I mean, the first chapter that I saw, which is now our chapter two, um, it was just an amazing chapter. And it had nothing to do with me at the time. Now I've added all my own two cents into that chapter as well. But um, just an amazing writer. And so th this book is Literally, when we first gave it to the editor and he he took a look at it, um, he just came back and he said, I finally understand why you guys were so late on your deadline. <laughs> and uh, just because it's a good, it's a really good book. It's got a forward by Laurie Soddles. Yeah. Um, uh, and so it's, it, I think it's going to be an amazing book when it's finally, you know, in print. Okay. I'm definitely, I, you know, I will definitely be ordering off Amazon that book. Um you know, Joe, one thing that really struck me, that word of grateful, I've, I definitely, I know what you mean. Um, I, we did an, I went through a leadership retreat a couple months ago and and they had everybody at the retreat think back to that kid when they were in seventh grade and um, just stay in that space of that seventh grader. And I, I don't know about you, but I know that Ryan Scott in seventh grade um, who was really trying to figure out who I was and really started going down a bad place. Um, no way that that seventh grader would have ever expected me to be where I am in life. Um, and, and I don't know about you, Joe, okay. but yeah, I'm definitely grateful to where, to, to where I'm at right now. Yeah. 
For sure. So, okay. Now that we have those three words, uh, my next question for you, Joe, is who is this Joe guy outside of your professional world? Uh, gee, I, I, I suppose first and foremost, you know, I'm, I'm a husband and a yep. doggy daddy. Okay. And, okay. Um, I, I've been with my, my husband, Rick, we've been together 23 years. Gosh. And so this is going on 24 now <laughs> and, and a couple months. And so that's, that's, I think first and foremost, that's part of who I am. I, I'm a brother. Uh, I, I have an amazing sister who is it, like, uh, a, a, you know, a, a grounding force in my life. Um, I, I guess, you know, before, before this work, I, I was and still remain a musician. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Right. You know, singer, songwriter, okay. you know, okay. kind of guy uh, and still play with that on the side. I don't, I don't really have much time to invest in it, sure. but I try to give it as much energy as I can. Um, yeah. That's awesome, and man. I love that. Sort of trying to do good things in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say you are doing great things in the world just from, you know, the, the work that you are doing uh, around restorative justice, um, which I know is hard uh, to get into. It's hard to change a system, uh, a discipline system. I know that firsthand. Um, but, you know, I would also say I definitely res resonate with that music love. I'm a musician, played piano, still play piano every once in a while. And and I'll tell you, I'm super excited right now. My nine-year-old has asked for piano lessons. And that's like, oh, that's so awesome. Like, hopefully there's going to be another Scott in, in the music world. So, okay. So Joe is yeah. a family man. Joe is an author. Joe is a, a doggy daddy. Um, I can resonate with that also. Um, okay. So now that we know who Joe is, I think we're ready to kind of get into the meat of this podcast, if, if that's cool with you. Yeah, bring it on. Okay. So, you know, this whole podcast is about mentoring. And so I always like uh, my guests to think back. Um, and if you have somebody in your life that you can look back and, and say, you know, absolutely that that person helped me become who I am today. So somebody that was a mentor for Joe. I mean, putting my sister aside. Okay. Um, Back when I was about 20, 20 ish years old, I might have been more like 19. Okay. Um, my, I played in this original band. Uh, you know, a vast majority of the music that they wrote was, or that they played with stuff I wrote. And wow. uh, we went to make our first demo. And for whatever reason, I just really hit it off with the guy who owned the studio. Okay. We, and so this is, you know, 1989, 1990 or so. And so we're talking, you know, one inch, 16 track tape. Uh, no, <laughs> no, digital recording was was a was a pipe dream for, for most of us because we couldn't afford, you know, a DAP player or any of it, you know, that great stuff that was out in like 1989. Um, but I, I, I was really, I'd always been really interested in recording. Uh, my father was actually a, a sound engineer for a while and a oh, DJ. Cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Like the whole idea of recording family business yeah. there, but somehow I really connected on with the guy who won the studio, and he agreed even after you know we recorded this demo. Much like you, I'm, I'm a piano player and a keyboard player. I can I can fumble my way around on a guitar, and and I actually can sing, and uh, and so I started going in and doing like studio musician work. Cool. 
just for, for free. I just wanted to do it. So I would play with anybody that showed up at the studio. But the the guy who ran the studio and I would end up having these really long talks. And, and, and he just became, you know, sort of my teacher about how to record music, how to place microphones, how to how to actually work in the music business. That's right. How how bands become successful, how bands are managed. And so at one point in life, that's where I thought my life would go. Yeah. Like working in music field. And you know, life had other plans. <laughs> so, you know, it's as it always does. And 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 different things happen that put me on a different path. But I think for for a couple of years there, which were a tough couple of years, um, there was, you know. This guy, Tom Hollanden, who ran at the time AKA Recording Studios in New Jersey. And he was just like that. I really do think he was very much a mentor. Yeah. Always giving me projects, helping me stay out of trouble. You know, when I couldn't find a job, help me find a job. I mean, it was, it was he was a he was a good person to be a mentor. And, and to this day, you know, I, I haven't seen him since the pandemic. And uh, I'm pretty excited that, uh, you know, New Year's weekend, I'm going to get to to pay a visit. Oh, that's cool. And, and hang out. Maybe so play really a little cool music. But most likely play a little music. There, yeah. there, There's always, so my New Year's Eve for the past two years is actually spent with my old band from when I was a kid. Oh, cool. And so everybody brings guitars and then tries to remember the songs we used to play, which of course none of us can do. And I, I even though I wrote lots of those lyrics, I couldn't tell you the words to those songs <laughs> if you paid me. But funny enough, our friends know all the words. Yeah. I don't remember them, but my friends all like are like groupies from high school <laughs> who are now all a, adults with children of their own. Yeah. Uh, who are now the age that we were when we all met. And uh, and they all remember this the words, and so I think it's funny. It's like I stopped singing my own songs, and and other people have to sing them because I can't remember. Them. <laughs> I love that. Man. It's funny. I yeah, love that. But, but definitely, Tom Hollanden would have been probably the person I'd call a, a mentor for me. I mean, there are definitely other people that sure. popped into my life, and but but Tom is somebody I've always looked at as somebody I looked up to. Uh, he made his living as a musician. Uh, which I absolutely adored that thought. Um, it made his life doing, you know, life in music, but also I love recording equipment. I love microphones and 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 mastering machines and equalizers and gadgets that change sound and all that stuff is fun for me. And so having someone to teach me how all that stuff worked was amazing. That is very, very cool. Um, and, and, you know, we're not sharing the video, so my my folks that are listening can't see it. But if you could see it, there is just absolute joy emanating from Joe right now. So it's pretty evident that um, that Tom had a pretty significant um, impact on Joe's life. And and that's really, Joe, that's why I love this space, um, you know. Lori, Lori DeSottles, if if you're out there and you don't know who who she is, um, she is a groundbreaking researcher when it comes to trauma and neuroscience and and um, relationships and co-regulation and that type of stuff. And and she loves to say, you know, we are wired for connection. And and I love that when you bring up if, if somebody brings up a mentor that was in their life, it always flips their brain to this happy place. And that's why I think I love Big Brothers Big Sisters so much is that we literally get to bring happiness to kids um, through something as simple as connection. 
Um, and so, Joe, we're really going to let's let's get into kind of why you're here today. Um, you know, like I said, beginning uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana believes 100 percent that we are here to defend the potential of all kids. Um, but in order to defend that potential, we got to know what is keeping them from that potential. And Joe, you know, your work surrounding trauma-informed restorative um, schools and restorative justice is pretty, pretty important for this conversation. And so um, I want to spend some time today discussing your work, if, if you're good with that. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Okay. Okay. So here's here's the deal. Um, in our agency, we are disproportionately heavy on both kids that come from poverty, but also kids with A scores of four or more. Um, for anybody out there that does not know what I what I'm referencing, ACEs stands for adverse childhood experiences, and um, the short version of that is just kids that have experienced some type of trauma in their life. And the more trauma that a kid experiences as a child, the more it affects them in adulthood, uh, both um, social and emotionally and um, health-wise. Um, but then it also affects them, obviously, as a child as well. Um, so a lot of Joe's uh, work revolves around that world. And so, Joe, um, if you could, if you want to start, you know, just tell us what your work is, what it's about, and then, you know, we'll go from there. So it's, you know, the work's evolved over the years. Okay. Um, and, and at this point in time, I, at least for the last, you know, since like 2015, I was working, well, it was December of 2014, I was working as the associate executive director of a nonprofit uh, community mediation center. Okay. And a lot of my work was going into schools and setting up peer mediation programs and then doing um, workshops on communication, trauma, restorative practices for, uh, for educators. Okay. And in 2000, in, in that same, you know, it was about this time of year, uh, back in 2014 that we learned that the funding for my position was going to be cut, that we just couldn't pull off having an, an executive director and an associate. Sure. So the associate position was cut and, and now I don't have a job. I'd been working with a school and they said to me, um, you know, can we just pay you directly because we want to keep working with you? And I was like, oh, yeah, see why not? And it's certainly like I could use the money. I need the I job. I'm be working. And next things next, I never had to think about finding work again for the next, you know, till now. And the reason for that is schools just kept calling me. And so in order for me to keep up with what schools needed, I just kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the work. Yeah. And so I'm a, a, I'm a great student who just likes to learn. Yeah, I get that. I didn't do that very well in school. And I didn't go back and get my degree until, until 2014. Okay. Um, and, and so I was one of those people that school wasn't how I learned but I love to learn. And so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty self-taught around lots of topics, Yeah, which I know you, you all at home, you know, when listening, can't see it, but behind me are just literally Tons shelves, of books. And shelves and shelves of books. Yeah. I just, I adore, I'm one of those people that has a stack of books to be read. So often has to, you have to cut yourself off from yes. buying any yes. until you've read the 30 that you just bought. Yep. <laughs> so I, I just went swimming in information around trauma, PTSD, complex trauma, 
ACEs, the science around ACEs, but also the science around resilience. And so, and part of it was driving me because I wanted to keep doing the work in schools, but part of it was also driving me because I'm a hate crime survivor, a trauma survivor, and a child abuse survivor. Yeah. And so I needed to make my own. The more I got into the work, the more I started realizing that I'm not just doing this work for other people. I'm doing this for me. Amen. And and so this and there's a balance for that, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, heal or heal thyself, or sort of like that that thinking. But it does drive me. And uh, and the work now is really about going into schools and helping them set up infrastructure that will support this work. Yeah. And and I think that's a very different approach than the approaches that are currently being taken, which is a lot of just training. And I don't wanna discount that. The training is really important. People need to learn about their brain. People need to learn about their, their nervous system, about regulation and dysregulation. But we, more, more importantly right now, we need to have structures that allow people to do this work. Yeah. So a lot of my job right now is going in and helping uh, change systems uh, so that those systems can be trauma-informed and can support trauma-informed practices within schools. So, you know, so that it's like if we're not treating the teachers and the educators in a trauma-informed way, then they're not going to have the capacity to treat the children in a trauma-informed way. And so we've got to get systems in place that allow for that. And, and so most of my work right now is, 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 is also helping people understand that restorative practices in and of themselves, restorative justice in and of itself is not trauma-informed. You've you got to add that layer on, on top of it. Yeah. In other words, if you are still looking at little Billy's behavior as a poor choice or intentional, and he needs to have some consequences, there's nothing going to be trauma-informed about your restorative practices because your starting point about behavior is is just simply off, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The neuroscience of humans does not support that view anymore. And so if you're coming at kids with this behavioristic lens and, and you're going to circle them up for their behavior, but you still think they made poor choices, well, this isn't, that's not really restorative and it's Absolutely. not really trauma-informed. And so a lot of my work right now is helping people move away from behavioristic approaches, your basic B.F. Skinner, you know, Watson, Harrison stick model that, you know, kids use their behavior to, you know, that we can, even better yet, that we can whittle their behavior down to like five things on an FBA, <laughs> like, you know, work avoidance or, or attention. Um, Attend, you know what like like we all do things to get attention like those things should not be we can't take the complexity of human behavior and whittle it down to 20 things yeah. or five things like it, that's insanity but also none of those things look at the environment right it's all about what's the kid trying to get what are they trying to get what are they trying to get out of and they never look at the the environment that child is behaving in which may actually be the cause of their behavior. And right. we know that from things like triggers and PTSD and, and how nervous systems and anxiety work, that when you understand that the brain is not responding to the world, your brain isn't sitting around dormant, waiting for something to wake it up and, and make you respond. The brain acts as a prediction. It's like, 
the brain is your little crystal ball. That's right. And what it does is it tries to figure out what is about to happen. So I'm ready for it. And it does that by managing what we call the body budget, all the resources in your, your body, sugar and salt and, and energy and serotonin and adrenaline and all the things that make you tick. Your body's anticipating how much of that you need and predicting what you need. Well, if all of my history is negative, I'm probably going to predict in the negative, which means I'm going to see the world as a dangerous place where I get hurt. And so I'm going to look out to keep myself safe. But that also means I can't be relational. Yeah. I can't take people's perspective. I can't all I those things have nothing to do with survival. And so your brain just stays in survival mode because it predicts that's what you need. And when we still see their behavior as poor choices, we have just discounted all those experiences that that are valid. <laughs> like when you have grown up you know, for the first seven, eight years of your life, believing that the world is unsafe, even math is a little unsafe. That's right. Uh, going to the movies could be unsafe. Like everything feels unsafe. And in today's world, and the way kids see the world today, that's, I think, a big portion of where we are. Yeah. And so I think my work now is really about helping. I feel like I spend the majority of my time helping people change the lens on how they see behavior, moving it away from that behavioristic lens into this more trauma informed applied neuroscience lens. You know, Lori would call it applied educational neuroscience or, you know, Bruce Perry would, would, you know, using his neurosequential model, you know, we all have these different ways that we approach the work, but clearly that work is telling us that these, you know, hundred year old ways of dealing with kids which are a blip. I always want to point out to people, this carrot stick approach we've got has only been around for a couple hundred years. Nobody did stuff like this for the, you know, human beings in this form have been around about 250,000 years. This carrot and stick approach, behavioristic approach and FBA, all this weird nonsense is fairly a blip in, in our evolution. It's also antithetical to our evolution. It it makes absolutely no sense in in terms of how brains work, how the body works. It it, it makes sense, to, to, I guess, to Skinner when he was trying to get a pigeon to go through a maze, <laughs> or putting his daughter in a box. But even Skinner, you know, said that the one thing he could not account for in his work was human emotion. Yeah, you know, and and and. That's why most of his theories, you know, he did his, his, I mean, Alfie Cohn says this all the time that, you know, Skinner did all of his experiments and writing on rats and pigeons and then wrote it about and wrote the translations into humans. Right, right there. We should have all been suspect like, "Mm, okay. But even Skinner himself said the shortcoming of my work is is human emotions. Which is once you add, (laughs) add that. Which is kind of a big deal. Yes. Considering and, and, we are I an think, emotional creature. Yeah. I, I think the other thing missing from Skinner's work in behaviorism is what we call state-dependent functioning, which is a, a term that comes from the neurosequential model uh, of, of therapy or education created by Dr. Bruce Perry that really states that how human beings use their brain is state-dependent. That the higher like 
thinking of your brain is unavailable to you under stress. Right. That your IQ drops under stress and duress. And so, yeah, you can look at little Johnny and say he knows better, but that doesn't mean in the situation he's in with the stress he's got, with the skills he's got, that he can actually access this higher thinking where he knows better. Yes, I'm sure he knows better, but that doesn't mean he can access it. Oh, that and so when we start to see kids' behavior as no longer in trouble, but yet in struggle, that makes us want to reach out and teach skills and help. Because we don't see an in-trouble kid. We see an in-struggle kid. That's exactly right. But unfortunately, we all know that's not, especially in education, in, in, our, in most models, in mentoring, I'm sure it's, it's similar, in most models that we are using today to work with kids, we are still using this carrot stick approach. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, Joe, you've given a lot of really good information about um, kids and about their brains and about the systems needed in schools to help, you know, mitigate, excuse me, the stress that kids are bringing in in the background that baggage that kids are bringing into the classroom. Um, but, you know, as an agency, if you were to be talking, say, to some of my bigs, um, you know, and they've got, say, they've got a, a little that has some high A scores, right? Um, so maybe they have some trauma that they're bringing in this relationship. Could you just speak to them about why that connection and that relationship is so um, therapeutic for those kids? Yeah, so couple reasons, but we'll start off with some some research, right? So there was yeah. some research done about 20 years ago that that showed us the power of one, right? That that kids who had at least one connection in their life fared better regardless of their history of adversity. Yeah, right. And so then then you take there's a a, a widely used quote from Dr. Bruce Perry that basically says, and I'm paraphrasing it because I can't remember the exact exact wording, but basically the, the number of healthy relationships a child has is a better indicator of their well-being than their history of adversity. That's right. And so when you can give a child solid, you know, unconditional positive regard through a healthy attuned adult who's regulated in their nervous system, then what you offer that kid is practice right. on being regulated. Right. Right. And the more times they practice, so repetition, the more times they get to be in that state of being regulated, feeling safe, feeling relational, the more that their brain goes, hmm, this is possible. Right. And so no matter how much adversity they have, they're getting practice at how to be regulated and, and what gets them there. And so just that one person can offer a, a child just enough footing to start accessing the higher parts of their brain and figure out you know, how, how they're going to shift and heal their brain. It doesn't matter how many you know, adverse experiences they've had. Their history of adversity is not going to dictate their, their future. Right. Their, their history of relationships dictates their future. Ooh. I like that. So you're telling me, Joe, the the more positive relationships that a kid has, the more positive their life is probably going to be. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Human beings are absolutely connected creatures. We are, we are hardwired to connect. Uh, I know Laurie says that. I know Brene Brown has that as, as part oh, of yeah. her oh, original yeah. TED talk that humans are hard, hardwired to connect and that it literally is physically painful to us to experience rejection. That's how hardwired we are. Yeah. Like emotional pain lights up in the same part of the brain where physical pain does. Right. And so when we feel rejection, when we feel hurt, it is literally a, a, a physical experience for us. And our, you know, you think about that from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes a, a, a ton of sense, right? That, you know, we are, we are literally wired to function together because that's how we have evolved. You know, the, the speculation is, is that what drove human beings to the next level was our ability to collaborate with each other. Don't laugh when I tell you at what. Uh, you know, we actually evolved to be great hunters and food gatherers. Yeah. But we did that in teams. And, you know, we didn't have weapons, so we used rocks. Collaborative rock throwing <laughs> is kind of what kicked off our evolution, right? Because as a as one of us throwing rocks at a prey, we're we're not going to get dinner. But if we all come together and throw rocks at that at, at that you know prey, then we're probably going to eat. And so we we evolved through collaboration. I love that, which literally means we are hardwired. Yeah, yeah. And and so when you give a child just one person just one person to let them feel positive you know unconditional positive regard notice i didn't say unconditional love because right love can be a triggering word that's a very triggering word for a lot of kids who've experienced abuse um and so unconditional positive regard when you can give that to a child offer them a stable regulated safe space where they feel like they belong you have set them up for success. Oh, I love that. I love that. So Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America has this amazing um, kind of tagline that I love to throw out, and it's better together. Um, we are better yeah. together. Um, I think what you have you've told us today, Joe, and and uh, you did it eloquent with eloquently was that there, the research is clear. Um, the old ways, are, are are that's they're just there they're old so let's move into what the research says and what the research says is that connections are a better indicator of a child's success than their IQ than their home life than it, whether they have one or two parents at home whether you know whatever in order for that kid like we said to reach their potential they've got to have quality connections. Yeah. Mike. And, and it just, it <laughs> can just be a, a, a one person. Yeah. The, the, re, the research is pretty surprising when you look at that research and it's been replicated. Like we know that the power of one is absolutely incredible at taking a child who's had a diversity and having them do a whole bunch better is is that power of one they just need one person in their life that can offer them that unconditional positive regard within a tuned caregiver who can sense what's going on for that kid hmm. i mean attunement's important to that like you can't just be this like disinterested adult sure, in sure. this child's life it has to be attunement 
and and you got to let your nervous systems kind of like you got to like share your calm <laughs> you got to share, yeah. share share that sense of regulation um that helps kids build skills that helps grow parts of their brain that might not have grown like executive function you know if the brain can't access those higher parts where executive function lives it also means that it can't develop some of those things that's right and a lot of social skills a lot of uh Self-regulation skills, including emotional regulation, impulse control, time management, think Academics. of all the executive functions. You can't develop those skills unless you've developed the lower brain stuff. That's right. Which means you have to learn safety and regulation. Then you need to learn relational skills and have relational attunement. And now you get to develop executive function. Um, that doesn't happen to a child uh, in, if they're stuck in their survival brain. That's right. That's right. Well, Joe, um, I have loved our conversation today. Um, it, we're going to start wrapping it up because you have really given us a lot to think about. Um, I, I always like to keep these these episodes right around 45 minutes. Um, I think it's just a good, good spot for folks. Um, so I appreciate you telling us um, everything about, you know, your work and, and bringing a lot of value to this conversation. And, and you know, my hope is that some of our bigs or, or folks out in the community um, will, will, will listen to this and, and, and it will um, just cement why Big Brothers Big Sisters is such a powerful organization for kids, um, but particularly for kids that are struggling. Um, before we leave, though, I want to give you or I want to ask of you, um, if, if there was one other person besides the magnanimous Joe Broomer that I should bring on this podcast uh, that that maybe has something to add to the mentoring conversations, who would that be? Oh, my gosh, there's so many amazing humans that you for sure <laughs> that, that could add to this conversation. For sure. Um, I. You know, I, I I turn back to this this chat group that I'm in with about 15 other amazing humans who do similar work, okay. um, and and I think a anybody off that that chat group would be the people that that you should talk to. Um, people like Meg Baldwin out of uh, Ferris yeah, Elementary yeah. School. Yeah, I know Meg. Uh, does Balavizex? Yes, Balavizex work. Yeah. Um, she actually uh, she offered a chapter up in my next book for me. Oh, cool. Uh, Jess, Jessica Harris from okay. Mayfil, Mayflower Mill Elementary School in Indiana. They are doing absolutely amazing stuff with kids who have really challenging behavior. And, and I think, so I think that, and then of course, you know, you, Dr. Lori, Dr. Dustin Spring, Dr. Oh, okay. Lori. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Dustin Springer, actually, who's studied with, uh, with Dr. Lori. Uh, you know, uh, I'm mean, such a big grouping out there. Um, you know, my, I'd even say my friend, James Moffitt. Yeah. Who's the James. principal of Ferris yep. elementary school. He, yep. you know, I mean, these are just some people like, these are the people that I go to. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stuck. These are who I go to. You know, you, you mentioned you're going to have ginger Healy on like ginger is like one of those people that like, I, if I'm reading a bunch of brain stuff and going, I have no idea what this is about. I'm going to go to ginger. And be like, sure. Hey, have you read this? Sure. These are the people that I think, I think some of these folks are just brilliant. Um, uh, and then, of course, if you can find a way to make it work, you know, with the time difference from Australia to here, you should always try to find your way to getting Margaret George Bourne on here. Um, 
there's not a person on the planet I could think of that doesn't understand kids with challenging behavior, you know, better than, than Margaret Thorsborn. She's been at this for 30 years, doing restorative justice work, doing trauma work. Uh, she is a former biology teacher. Okay. Um, I mean, she gets this work and on levels, I just think she, her understanding of affecting script psychology, the neuroscience of of really handling behavior restoratively. I mean, this is a woman that understands the restorative process, whether it's in the business world, because she does a lot of like business work and teaching business leaders restorative practices. Okay. But then she also teaches those same skills to mentors, to you know, criminal justice folks, to education folks. Uh, she's done this work in London, Singapore, uh, Australia, the States, Canada. I mean, this woman is so in- incredible. And I- I'm sure she would probably find a way to either wake up early or go to bed a little later so she could find a way to make the time oh. difference oh. work for you. Okay, well, I think I, I know who I'm going to reach out to. I appreciate that, Joe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, this has been, you know, just like last time, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, anytime that I can connect with like-minded folks that that um, are in the business of of doing great things to help kids. Um, I appreciate you. And 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 I, I feel like the tides are, are starting to turn. More people are talking about trauma and more people are talking about what needs to be done within the systems. Um, so I appreciate your work. Uh, keep going, keep pushing, um, stay warm in New England. Um, yeah. 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 But okay. I, I appreciate you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'm going to end this episode in the immortal words of my grandfather, John Janoski. Um, I'll tell you every time that I left his house, every single time he would say, Ryan, Until next time, I will see you in the funny paper. If you've found value in our discussions and believe in the power of mentorship, please consider contributing to our mission. Your financial support plays a crucial role in what we do. To make a contribution, visit our website at www.mentoringkids.org. Every donation, big or small, goes a long way in helping us to defend the potential of all kids within our six-county footprint. Once again, thank you for being a part of this community. Your support means the world to us. Together, we can create a ripple effect of positive change. Stay inspired, stay motivated, And remember, we are better together.